Good afternoon. I have to get used to that, used to saying good morning. But uh, I think we're all adjusting. I heard a couple of good mornings said to me this afternoon, but I forgive you. We can move past that. Just a formality. Well, I asked myself this question. Where should we start? Where should we start? I thought about that myself, preparing this teaching series for Summit Bible Church. Where should I start? The new teaching pastor, preaching weekly in the pulpit. I thought about that question and thought, well, where do you start when you build a house? Well, of course, when you're building a house, you start with a foundation. Now, the strength of the house is only as strong as its foundation. And so before you put up the frame and the roof and install the windows and doors and everything else, you have to level the ground and lay a firm foundation. Where do you start when you want to learn a second language? Well, you start with the basic building blocks of the language. You start with common vocabulary, basic verb and noun forms, simple grammatical structure. It all starts with the basic building blocks of the language. Let's say you want to learn to play a new instrument. Let's say the guitar. Where do you start in learning a new instrument? Well, with the guitar, you learn to play the basic chords, the E chord, the A chord, the D, and so on and so forth. And then after the essentials, you can branch off into the more difficult chords, the minors, the sharps, etc. It all starts with the essentials. So where should we start together in the teaching ministry here in the pulpit? How about we start with a good foundation? How about we start with the building blocks of our Christian faith, the essentials of what we believe? And I think that we could sum up those, found, or those foundational principles, those essentials, those building blocks into five G's, okay? Five G's, all these words are few words start with the letter G. So if you're taking notes, I'd like you to write these down. The essentials to our faith, the building blocks of Christianity, the the firm foundation we're going to build on, especially from the pulpit, five G's. Number one is the gospel. The gospel, of course. The salvation message of the gospel Number two, the great commandments. You know them. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Essential to our Christian faith. So the gospel, the great commandments. And number three, the great commission. The great commission. This is the purpose of the church. This is our purpose in the church. It's to make disciples. And then all of these G's, and we'll, we'll see them all work together for the last two. God's glory and our good. So if, you, if you're writing them down, if you're trying to memorize them, you have the gospel, the great commandments, the great commission, God's glory and our good. Those are 
the, essential, the essentials of our faith, the basic building blocks, the foundation that we're going to build off of. Now, these are not just random topics spread throughout all of Scripture. You see them in all of Scripture. But these G's, if you will, were given to us by a king. These are the king's essentials. They're the king's building blocks for our faith. They are, this is the foundation that our king laid down for us. And the king's name is Jesus. So why don't you turn your Bibles open to the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew. This is where we will be in the next coming six weeks or so. We're going to draw these principles out of the Gospel of Matthew. We see them so clearly laid out in this Gospel. If you want to write down a theme for the Gospel of Matthew, I would give you this theme. Jesus is King. That's the theme of the Gospel of Matthew. And Matthew writes to defend that truth. Jesus is King. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ that was promised. And Matthew starts his gospel in the very beginning, so open to chapter 1. He starts his gospel with the king's royal genealogy. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now this is important. This is important. And then he gives a list of names after that verse, all the way from Abraham to Joseph, Jesus' father. This is important for the Jews at this time. The Gospel of Matthew, written to the Jews to defend Christ's royalty, Jesus' royalty, because the Jews are expecting a king. They were given a covenant. And this covenant you could trace all the way back to 2 Samuel chapter 7. It's the Davidic covenant. And in this covenant, God promises David a king. He will establish a kingdom. This king will reign forever. And then the covenant is repeated later in the Old Testament. The Jews are looking forward to this king because this king promise or this king promises liberation for the Jews. Peace promises to take them back to a land that was promised. And promises them that this king will reign forever. And so the Jews are looking forward to a king from the line of David. And so it's important that Matthew backs up his lineage with this genealogy. But the king that the Jews were looking for was not the one that showed up. Well, it was and it wasn't. See, they thought that this king in his first visit, would come and free them from bondage to Rome. That he would establish his throne in Jerusalem and reign there as king. But what they didn't know and what they didn't see is that the king comes twice. The king comes twice. That's important. We'll come back to that at the end of this message. But he came first. Look at Matthew 1 verse 21. This is the reason for the king's first advent, his first arrival. Matthew 121, the angel tells Joseph, Mary, take Mary as your wife. Verse 20, she, 21, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. 
Here's the king's mission, for he will save his people from their sins. See, Jesus came first to serve and save, and he would come again to judge and reign. And so we start with the king's royal genealogy. Now, if you look at chapter 2, we see the, cur- the king's first opposition. It's an earthly king, King Herod. He thought, he thought he was the king of the Jews. And so when the wise men came through and told Herod, hey, where is this son of David who's going to be born, the king of the Jews? Herod, the text says, becomes troubled, verse 3. And he seeks to kill Jesus because he's threatened by him. He's unsuccessful. Joseph and Mary flee with their newborn baby to Egypt, which fulfills prophecy, and they avoid the mass murder of all the firstborn children in Israel by the king Herod. Chapter 3, we see the king's herald. Now every king you know, has a herald, has someone who goes out in front of the king, travels in front of him, blows the trumpet, and announces his arrival. The king is coming. Or the king has come. John the Baptist is that herald. He came before Jesus. And in verse 2, chapter 3, verse 2, he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or it, you could be translated, it has come near. And John says in verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. This herald announces the king's arrival. And then later in chapter 3, Jesus is baptized by John to fulfill all righteousness, verse 15. If you go to chapter 4, this is just to provide some context. Chapter 4, we see the king's test. The king was tested by Satan. Satan puts him to the test in the wilderness after he was fasting for 40 days. He was hungry, he was tired, thirsty. And the devil thought he could break him. But our king does not break. He withstands temptation. Hebrews 4.15 says this, We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Our king did not break. Jesus Christ, the righteous king, did not, does not, and will not fail us. He withstands the test. And this is the context that leads us to the couple of verses we're going to look at this morning. Jesus starts his ministry. And what does he start his ministry doing. The title of this afternoon's message is The King's Message. The King's Message. You could write that at the top of your page. The King's Message. What do we see Jesus doing first in his ministry? Well, look at Matthew 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Skip forward a couple verses to verse 23. And Jesus went throughout all Galilee, 
teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus came to preach. He came to proclaim the gospel. Preach and proclaim, those two words there, the same Greek word, keruso, which simply means to preach. I love what Steve Lawson said, uh, and he's probably said it quoting another guy, but he says, God only had one son, and he made him a preacher. Jesus came and he preached. Matthew records his best sermon, his greatest sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And what is this preacher's message? What's this message that the king comes and he preaches? Well, look back at verse 23. He preaches, he proclaims the gospel of the kingdom. There's the message, and there's our first G, the gospel. The gospel, absolutely essential, absolutely foundational, the building block, the essential crux of the Christian faith. The gospel of the kingdom. This is a message fit for a king. A message of urgency, a message with power, a message about a king and his kingdom. I'm going to ask you some at Bible Church, what's the message that you preach? What's the message you preach? What are the messages that capture your attention, that you prioritize in your life? You might say, oh, I'm not a preacher. I'm not up there in the pulpit. You have a message. And you communicate that message all the time to coworkers, to friends, to family, to your children. What's the message that you preach? Do you have a more important message than the gospel of the kingdom? Are you diligent to share this critical, crucial gospel? Summit Bible Church, we need to be a people that embraces this message, remembers this message, and shares this message with everyone we interact with. What is the gospel of the kingdom? What is the gospel of the kingdom? Let's break that phrase into two parts. Let's look first at this word gospel. Gospel, this is important. Euangelion in the Greek, what does it mean? It, it means simply good news. Good news. The gospel is good news. Don't you like good news? Don't you love good news? Don't you wish you saw some good news or that you could read some in the media? Hard to find these days. I don't know if you've heard this one, but there was a patient. He was waiting in the patient room. For the doctor to come in with his biopsy results, he's anxiously waiting, sweating, twiddling his thumbs. The doctor walks in and asks, well, you want the good news or the bad news first? Patient thought for a minute. He goes, well, why don't you give me the good news first? Doctor says, okay, well, congratulations. You have a disease now named after you. Of course, the bad news is, you have some strange new disease we know nothing about. Not the good news he was hoping for. Not the good news he was hoping for. Listen, Summit Bible Church, the gospel is just good news. Something to look forward to, to hope in, to trust in. The gospel is a good news message of joy. The angels came to the shepherds and said, fear not. 
I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. The gospel is a good news message of peace. Jesus himself said, peace I leave with you, and my peace I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The gospel is a good news message of life. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The gospel is a good news message of hope. 2 Thessalonians 2.16 Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us, and gave us eternal comfort and good hope. The gospel, friends, is the good news you've been searching for. It's the good news you've been searching for. It's the good news that you need right now, especially in 2020. It's the good news we need to be reminded of. When all you hear is bad news from the world, you need to remember the good news of the kingdom, the gospel. And listen, the gospel isn't just good news for the sinner. It's good news for the saint. You never outgrow the gospel. You never graduate from it, when, even when you become a Christian. You always need to be reminded of it. I think about Paul when he encourages Timothy, his son in the faith, a pastor Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, remember Jesus Christ, 2 Timothy 2.8. Risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. And then he turns around, he tells Timothy, Timothy, verse 14, remind them of these things. We always need to be reminded of the gospel. Summit Bible Church, my job is your pastor is to remind you of the gospel, the good news. Like I said, you never graduate from it. You never outgrow it. You need it. We all desperately need the good news, the good news. Gospel good news. Now, Jesus tags this phrase, the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom. Well, what is the kingdom? You know, Jesus says a lot about the kingdom in the book of Matthew. In fact, that word kingdom is used 55 times in Matthew's gospel alone, more times than any other book. So what is the kingdom? What is it? Well, we have to step back a little bit out of the trees and look at the forest. We need to see the big story of history, the, the big story in the Bible, the big story of the scriptures. The kingdom is, I would say, the major theme of scriptures. If you want to write something down, write this. The big story of the Bible is God establishes his kingdom for his glory and our good. God establishes his kingdom for his glory, one of our G's, and for our good. I want to show you, prove it to you, by going to the bookends of Scripture and showing you that the kingdom is its theme. Why don't you turn to Genesis chapter 1. Let's again look at the forest. Genesis chapter 1. We need to see the forest. See the big picture here. The kingdom of God. We see in the very beginning of Scripture, God does what? He created the heavens and the earth. God establishes a kingdom. 
Psalm 103 says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. And it's strange. God, the sovereign king, decided to create little kings. Do you see that in the text? He makes little kings. If you go down to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, what did God create man for? What did he create man to do? We see the, uh, the mandate in verse 28. God blessed them, said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and rule. Subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. It's been our purpose from the beginning to rule, not on our own behalf, not for our own glory, but to reflect glory to him, to be his faithful servants, his vice regents that would rule the earth and worship to him for his glory and for our own good. You know that when you obey God's commands, you function in the way that God has designed, there's blessing in it. It's because we're designed to live that way. And so whenever we live for God's glory, it always turns out for our ultimate good. God works all things together for the good of those who love him. And so, God establishes his kingdom in the very beginning. Now let's turn to the end. Revelation chapter 21. A lot happens in between, I know. We're going to get there. But let's go to the last two chapters of scripture. Revelation 21 and Revelation 22. We see in the end, again, God establishes a kingdom. Look at Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear away from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away, and he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. There's the king again, establishing his kingdom. Now go to chapter 22 and let's look at verses 3 through 5. No longer, verse 3, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. God establishes his kingdom. 
for his own glory. Worshippers of him, servants of him, it's all his glory. He creates a new heavens and a new earth in the end, the eternal state, something to look forward to. And look at where we are if we're in his kingdom, reigning with him, doing what we were made to do from the very beginning. What a place, huh? Heaven, the kingdom of heaven, no more tears, nothing to fear, no more war, no more virus, no more suffering, no more terrorism, no more injustice, life, eternal life, the dwelling place of God, reigning for him forever and ever. Now the big question for humanity, the big question for mankind is how do I get there? How do you get there? How do you get into the kingdom of heaven? How do you get into his kingdom? That must be where the good news is. The good news must be the message by which we can be saved, the message by which we can enter the kingdom of heaven. It's a way in. Now, many in our society and elsewhere would jump in at this point and say, I know the way in. Be a good person. Live a good life. That's how you get into heaven. Do more good than bad in your life. And that's how you enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what the Pharisees thought. If we go back to the book of Matthew, the Pharisees thought that. They thought, man, if we are good Jews and we follow all the traditions, the rituals, the rites, and go to the synagogue when we're supposed to, do the ceremonial cleansings, live a good life outwardly, then we will enter the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus tells them in Matthew 5.20, his Sermon on the Mount, he says, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, it's impossible by your own righteousness to enter the kingdom of heaven because the scribes and the Pharisees were the best of the best. On the outside, they were clean as a whistle. But Jesus points out their hypocrisy and says, hey, listen, you've heard it said, If you commit murder, you're guilty in the courts. He says, well, I tell you, if you're angry with someone in your heart, you've committed murder and you're you're just as guilty. He says, you've heard it said, if you commit adultery. I tell you that if you so much as lust after a woman from your heart, you are guilty for the same sin. Jesus points out that not one, not even the Pharisees are good enough to enter the kingdom of heaven. You need some kind of outside righteousness to enter the kingdom of heaven. Only the righteous, the truly righteous, can enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus talks about, in the, um, on the Mount of Olives, he looks forward to the great white throne judgment where Jesus will separate the sheep from the goats. You know what he calls the sheep? Those who enter the kingdom of heaven into eternal life, he calls them the righteous. You know what he calls the goats? He calls them the cursed. He said, these, the curse, will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. You must be righteous 
to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's your ticket in, righteousness. And therein lies the rub, the bad news. None is righteous, no, not one, the scriptures tell us, Romans 3.10. The good news is not that you are good enough for heaven, because you're not. In fact, the bad news is that you are not good enough for heaven. You are not righteous. The good news of the kingdom is not the good in you. The bad news is that there's nothing good in you. In the beginning, God establishes his kingdom. Well, we know how that turned out. Adam failed. Adam rejected God as king, decided to rule on his own behalf, make his own decision apart from God's will. And he sinned. And unfortunately, the consequences and curse of that one man's sin has affected us all. It spread to all mankind. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. Adam's sin separated him from God and his kingdom. He was cast out of the garden and cursed. But we all separate ourselves from God and his kingdom because of sin. We're all under sin's curse, apart from God. We can't not sin. And the curse doesn't lead to life in the kingdom. The curse leads to death. That is bad news. You say, well, Morgan, listen, I thought we were talking about the good news of the kingdom, the gospel. Listen, unlike the patient in the doctor's office, you need to hear the bad news before you hear the good news. People need to hear the bad news first. So many preachers or so-called evangelists, they avoid the bad news because they don't want to offend people. You know, the reality of our lives is that all of us, without Christ, are like blind men walking toward a cliff. And so many evangelists and preachers just go up to that blind man, pat him on the back, and say, hey, you're doing great. Keep going. That's not love. That's not good news. That's a death sentence. What we all need to do in preaching the gospel and sharing the gospel is grab that man by the shoulders, turn him around, and say, you have to turn around. You must change course or you're going to die. That's what John and Jesus said. They said, repent, turn, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Christian, your friends, your co-workers, your family members need to know what separates them from God and his kingdom before they can embrace God and his kingdom. We need to know that the wages of our sin leads to death before we're able to receive the free gift of God that leads to eternal life. We need to hear the bad news before we can receive the good news. It's very important. And once you understand the bad news, you are ripe and ready to receive the good news of the gospel of the kingdom. So Morgan, what is it? What is the good news? What's the gospel of the kingdom? How do we get in? How can a sinner be made right with God and enter the kingdom? How can a sinner be made righteous 
and have the ticket to get in? How does my neighbor get in? My coworker, my rebellious teenager, my aging grandfather. What's the good news? Well, let's let the king share it with us. Turn back to Matthew here and go to chapter 16. Let's allow the king to share the gospel with us. Matthew 16, verse 21. says this, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Turn over to chapter 17, verses 22 and 23. Matthew 17, 22 and 23. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. Now turn to Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 to 19. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. It's remarkable that after this statement, James and John go to Mama and say, hey, we want a good spot in Christ's kingdom. We know Jesus is going to establish his throne. He's going to set up a pretty cool kingdom plan here. We want to be the first in line to sit at his right hand. So Mama comes to Jesus and says, hey, what about my sons? Can they sit on your right and left hand? Can they be first in line in this kingdom that you're about to establish? And Jesus corrects them and says... This, verses 26 and 27 and 28. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. For many. The king comes twice. He came first to serve and to save. He will come again to judge and reign. But he came first, just like we sang about, and just like Thomas said, he came first to crush our curse. He came to take care of of our biggest problem. He came to save sinners. He came not as a king, but he laid aside his crown to become our savior so that we may have eternal life. Romans 5.18 says, Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Friends, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ is good. He lived a righteous life without sin. 
He died a sinner's death on our behalf, in our place. He was a perfect sacrifice. And he rose again from the dead, declaring victory over sin and death, crushing the curse. And when we believe in him and his great work of salvation, he exchanges, taking on our sin, and he gives us his robe of righteousness, the ticket that we need into heaven. And Jesus himself ascended to the right hand of the Father. All authority has been given to him. And again, he reigns over all in glory. And he is coming back to establish his kingdom here on the earth. This is our king. He came not only to preach this message, but he fulfilled it. The gospel, the good news of the kingdom, through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we can enter the kingdom of heaven. We can be righteous in Christ, not in ourselves. If we would just repent, turn from our sins, and place our trust in Jesus. What a king. What a sacrifice. We've seen nothing like this. We've not seen an act of humility like this. A king that would humble himself to become a man. To die on the cross for sinners. One of my favorite illustrations of this is this story. There was a king who reigned over a kingdom. He was a good king, a just king, and a wealthy king. Well, the treasurer came into the king's courts and told the king, King, someone has been stealing from your storehouses. The king was alarmed and he commanded the treasurer. He said, heighten the security. Make sure that no one goes in or comes out that I don't trust. So the treasurer went back and he heightened security. The treasurer comes back a couple days later and says, King, someone keeps stealing from your storehouses. The king was furious. He called the captain of his guard. He said, Captain, come here. Write up a new order for the kingdom, a search warrant for this thief. And when we find him, we will take him to the public square and we will flog him to death. He will be punished for his crime. Go and do so. And so the captain of the guard went out and searched the kingdom for the thief that had been stealing from the king's storehouse. Well, the captain of the guard came back into the throne room the next day. And his head was low. And he said, King? The king said, what, What's the bad news, captain? The captain said, King, we found the thief. And the king said, Well, captain, that's great news. Who is it? And the captain said with his head low, King, it is your son. The king was shocked, grieved, began to weep. The captain, almost afraid to ask, said, King, should we revoke the order? And the king paused and he said, No, I'm a just king. He's committed a crime, and the crime must be punished. 
make an announcement to the kingdom. May everyone gather in the public court and bring my son. And so he did it. He went out. The kingdom gathered in the public square around the pole where the flogging would take place. The king took his position on the throne overseeing the event. And the son was brought out by the guards. The son walked to the pole. He was tied to it. His shirt was removed. And the guards began to prep the whips for the flogging. As the guard was prepared, the son was down on his knees, his back exposed. And as the guard raised the whip to strike the son, you hear a voice from the throne say, Stop! The whole crowd is shocked, amazed. And they all look to the king. And then they saw their king take off his crown, set it aside. They saw their king take off his robe. And he walked toward his son through the crowd. He placed his robe over his son and then wrapped his arms around his son, covering him completely. And he looked back at the guard and he said, continue the punishment. He took the punishment for his son willing to be treated like the criminal for his son's sake. Listen, God did much greater. Our king laid aside his crown, took on the form of human flesh, becoming a man. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, to pay for our sins. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. What a king. What a king. What a message. There's nothing like it in the world. There's no story greater And it's not just a myth, a fairy tale. This is the truth. Jesus came, lived the perfect life, died the sacrificial death, and rose again from the grave. And by his righteousness, we can enter the kingdom of heaven. That's our message. That's the gospel we hold fast to. How do we respond to this message? Well, if you've not yet repented, hear the words of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ himself. Repent. Turn from your sin and follow Jesus. Love the king because he has so loved you. Surrender it all for the king who surrendered it all for you. And for us who are in Christ, who have believed, sometimes we forget at what cost our salvation came. We need to remember our great Savior and we need to look forward because again, the king's coming back. And our hope is in Him. Our assurance is in Him. Our comfort is in Him. Our joy is in Him. Our peace is in Him. So when the chaos hits us from all around, we know we can trust the Lord Jesus Christ, our King and our Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for being willing to send Your Son being willing to crush him in our place 
just amazed by the love of God to save rebellious sinners, sinners who have rejected you, sinners who have rebelled against you and your reign and your kingdom. And we've separated ourselves from you, yet you saw fit to reach out and save us through the incredible work of Jesus Christ. God, may this message motivate us to share the gospel with others. I pray that you would use this message even today to draw the lost sinner to yourself. That the sinner here, male or female, would repent from their sins and trust in Jesus Christ and his righteousness alone for salvation. God, may we remember this essential truth, the gospel, the message of our faith. May we never forget, may we be motivated again to share it with others, to stand boldly in the gospel, to be courageous, to be willing to maybe offend a friend, offend a family member, to be able to say that, you know, listen, we're all sinners. And because we're sinners, because of the bad news, the good news is sweet. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, took care of our sin and his incredible work, his life, death, and resurrection. Incredible truths for us this morning, Lord. I pray that you'd ingrain them in our hearts and we live by them this week. In Jesus' name, amen.